Welcome to Teach Em Up. I'm Nick Williams. Today, we are talking with Carrie Beth McCall, a special ed teacher here at San Marin High School about proficiency-based education. Carrie Beth, how you doing? I'm great, Nick, thank you. Good. Um, how's your day been? It's been wonderful. Yeah? Yeah. Good, what made it wonderful today? Um, I was just excited to be back at work after a long weekend, which is kind of dorky, but... No, that's, I like <laughs> look forward to coming back to work after long weekends so much. Yeah. Like part of me, it makes things worse because now I got to do five days of teaching in four days and I still want the same amount of learning. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the other part of me is like, oh, it's so good to get back and see my students again. Yeah, it feels good. Awesome. Um, So today we are talking about proficiency-based education, but before we talk about proficiency-based education, um, how did you get into teaching? Uh, Has this been a lifelong career for you, or is this a later-in-life transition? And what has kept you in teaching? What do you love about it? I guess this is a later-in-life transition, but probably most people don't consider third... Well, uh, no. I was in academics, and I I took time off after college, and I was learning how to snowboard and then teaching snowboarding in Colorado. (laughs) And then I went to grad school for religious studies, actually. And I was involved in academics, um, academia. And then, but I kept working, like paying the bills, Uh working in special education, working as a para and supporting students. Um, And I just thought it was really silly that I was putting all this work into something that probably wouldn't even get me a job. And, um, but I loved, yeah, I loved working with special ed. So then I moved out to California and got my credential and been doing it for 14 years now. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that you had done a, what was it, PhD, master's, master's. and a master's in religious studies. Yeah. How cool. And an undergrad in philosophy, which also got me a job uh, teaching snowboarding. So yeah, <laughs> life takes you in all kinds of directions. Yeah. Um, Okay, so today we are talking about proficiency-based education. So starting us off, um, what exactly is proficiency-based education? Um, Proficiency-based education is an entire system that encompasses instruction, assessment, grading, and how we report report back, how students are doing. Okay, so it's basically like how we instruct things, um, the teaching part, Mm -hmm. and then measuring the learning right? The assessment component Mm -hmm. of measuring that learning and then how we tell students and parents how well they're doing Mm -hmm. at meeting those learning targets. Um, So uh, traditionally, we've gone on a pretty percentage-based, points-based system. Mm -hmm. And most people are familiar with that kind of percentage-based, points-based system. You give me a homework assignment. I do the homework assignment. The homework assignment is worth 10 points. I give it to you. I get my 10 points, et cetera, et cetera. I take a test. The test is worth 100 points. I get uh, 95% on that test. Boom, thank you very much. Um, Why would I want to shift away from a percentage points-based system and towards more of a proficiency-based model? Well, I think the proficiency model gives us a much clearer picture. Um, Everyone, teachers, students, parents, but... You know, I've always had a problem with our traditional grading system in that I think for many students, but especially students I work with, it requires kind of playing a game, playing the game of school mm-hmm. and understanding, yeah, if I do X, Y, Z, this will happen. And um, for a lot of students, it's just not that straightforward and they feel frustrated and they can feel just like I'm not good at it. And at the flip side, students 
also do very well sometimes who understand how to play the game, but they might not be understanding anything. Yeah, the mastery component isn't there. They're just good at playing the game of school. Yeah, so the idea with proficiency-based education is it sounds like you're shifting from a model of knowing how to play the game, and I call it like the points game. Mm -hmm. Like, can I turn this in late? How many points will I get if I turn it in late? And as a teacher, that is my least favorite game to play because it's, as a teacher, what I really want to play is the learning game. Yeah. Uh, what have you understood? How much have you learned? Show me what you can do now. Show me all these cool new skills that you have gained. And so it sounds like you're trying to shift away from the points game and the like hidden subtext culture of playing the game of school and towards a system that really measures and f encourages kids to focus on the learning component and how much they've been able to master and what they can now do. Mm -hmm. Does that feel accurate? Yes. And it's interesting because every time we talk about this movement, um, like the first question people bring up is, well, what about grades? Like mm -hmm. they're looking with the end in mind and right. not the process itself. Mm -hmm. And um, whether that's parents or students are always worried about that. And part of what made me want to work with um, the proficiency-based education uh, movement here at our school is that my student in interviewing students um, they have a lot of anxiety around grades around that outcome and I don't hear so much about that sometimes it's that I don't get it but it's more that like I don't get it and therefore I'm not going to get a good grade mm -hmm. and um, talk and then if you dig a little deeper about the grades it's kind of external why they're worried about that they either want it so that their parents won't get mad or um you know so they can go to college or so that they can play sports and it i didn't hear a lot of conversation at all about actual learning <laughs> actually wanting to learn anything yeah. yeah um and that's confusing right because people from my perspective are mostly naturally curious people like learning stuff and it feels like if our school system is set up in a way that emphasizes the external reward and minimizes the actual desire to learn, we're doing something tragically wrong. Um, so it feels like if we can make a shift towards more of a learning-focused system, that's got to be a positive thing, generally. So you work with <clears throat> special ed students, and you mentioned that this seems like especially prevalent um, among special ed students, or especially like damaging in terms of like not understanding the hidden way of playing the school game, or kind of getting stuck with like the grade is not measuring what they actually understand. Mm -hmm. um, do you feel like that applies to all students or is that special ed specific? Is proficiency-based education gonna be a positive thing for A, how is it positive for special ed students? And then B, how would it be positive for other students? Uh, I think that it would be positive for all students. I mean, the kind of the point of using Part of proficiency-based education is using proficiency scales, um, and that helps measure, that helps students figure out where they're at in terms of meeting like a target or understanding a, an essential standard. Um, and so regardless of if you are a special ed student or, um, yeah, for all students, the for almost all students, the expectation is the same. Mm -hmm. Um, and the proficiency scale helps uh, show where they're at in terms of reaching the target, which I just said. Yeah, so it seems like there's kind of like 
a few reasons that proficiency scales would be helpful for students. So far in my classroom, mm -hmm. I have only used them as like a formative students checking in and checking their own progress tool. Mm -hmm. But I find that it's really helpful for providing clear expectations of students. And clear expectations is like the number one thing that leads to student success. Um, I, for my master's degree, did the, my research piece on what influences student uh, effort and student mm -hmm. outcomes. And I was kind of thinking that feedback, like formative feedback and peer assessment would be really, really important. And what I found was clear expectations in the beginning makes such a bigger difference than anything else if students understand what you're actually asking them to try to do, they will be way more successful at doing that thing. Mm -hmm. So step one is I think it's really helpful for just saying like, hey, here's exactly what success looks like. Um, you could call it like paint me done, but like show me what does it look like if it's right. Uh, so that's step one is like clear expectations that's consistently applied to all students. Right. Today, I, well, I was at another training earlier with Brene Brown's yeah. work, and she stresses clear is kind. And I was thinking about that in terms of these proficiency skills. Like, mm. yeah, it is kind. It's students come in, they're like, "What are we going to do today?" They want to know. And introducing something at the beginning of a unit, here's where we're going, mm -hmm. and you know, we're going to get there when we get there. Everyone might even start from a different place, but we're all going to end up. Yeah. in the same place. And I think that's something that like teachers fall into that trap of too. It's like, well, I understand where I'm going, mm -hmm. but my students might not. Mm -hmm. And so much of what I'm thinking is internal and making it more clear externally by being able to say, this is exactly what I want you to be able to accomplish. Now everybody's on the same page and it's a much easier to meet the target when you know what the target is. Right. Okay, so the second piece that I like about proficiency scales um, and proficiency-based education is that students can demonstrate that understanding in a whole lot of ways. So there's different ways of demonstrating that they understand the content that you're asking them to master, and therefore kids with different skill sets are able to show that in kind of like unique and interesting ways. I also find it more interesting as a teacher if I tell all the kids like I need you to give me a PowerPoint presentation that shows your thing, then I'm going to get a bunch of boring PowerPoint presentations, and that sucks for me. Mm -hmm. If it's just <laughs> I want you to demonstrate how homeostasis works. How do humans keep their bodies the same internally? Figure out a way to demonstrate what you understand. Some of them could design and run an experiment to test it. Some of them could make a cool little video piece. Some of them could put together a mixtape that somehow demonstrates it. Like if you can demonstrate all the understanding, awesome. Yeah. I'm sold. And I think giving that flexibility in how we want to assess students, ensuring that they're demonstrating the actual skill and that they're demonstrating the understanding, but through a variety of different ways. Yeah, it really supports different learning styles. And I mean, all the things you hear about in your credential program. Um, I was thinking, again, just to bring it back to special education, but yeah. we write, you know, students receive services usually to meet goals. Um, and so I think with the proficiency-based education, if we're looking at just, um, we're, we write goals based on standards by grade level. Um, and so having a smaller set of standards to choose from in the first place, because this is what you know, the content specialists have figured out is the most important piece of that course. Mm -hmm. um, and we can write right into the goals then um, some of the scaffolding to get there. Yeah which is huge. Mm -hmm. Again, it's just like providing a lot of clarity around here's what we need you to be able to do. 
here's how we're going to be able to do it. Here's the assistance that we're going to be able to give you to help you get there. Yeah. Um, so another piece is kind of thinking through on proficiency scales. Um, maybe we should take a step back and just kind of talk through like what is the pathway to go from a more percentage-oriented points game towards a proficiency-based education piece. Mm-hmm. So I kind of understand it that there are a few steps as we shift in that direction. Um, step one that we went through with our whole staff was creating a set of essential standards. So you mentioned that we don't have enough time, we have inadequate instructional time to cover all of the standards that we're supposed to cover. Yes. Um, or to the level that they should be covered. Yeah, in a good way, a decent way. Yeah. yeah. So with that in mind, um, our first step is taking a look at everything that students are supposed to be able to learn and trying to narrow it down to what is so essential that they have to, have to, have to get it in order to be successful in life, in order to be successful in the next course. Um, and we call those the essential standards. So you could take, you know, 50-odd standards that you're supposed to teach in a history class and try to narrow it down to which ones are so core that it's an important skill, not necessarily, like, for example, in biology. You could go through life as a pretty successful person without knowing every single cell organelle and what that thing does. Technically, that is something that you should learn in biology. But practically, I would guess that you don't know what a Golgi body is. No. Or a lysosome. See, I teach high school biology, and I don't know what those things do. When I need to know, I just look it up. Yeah. Because why would I need that in my memory all the time? Um, We have information everywhere now, so it's not about... Right. On a practical level, memorizing those things, because I use them so rarely in my real life is not a practical use of memory space. So going through and figuring out, okay, what do I need to know? There are some things that are probably super important. For example, how does photosynthesis and cellular respiration work? That's really core to understanding energy use in a cell. And that's something that you should probably know coming out of biology. If you get out of biology and you're like, oh, I've never really thought that like plants could make energy, that's crazy. We've done something wrong. <laughs> Um, So there are some kind of core pieces there. And so step one is narrowing down to those essential standards. Um, Once we've got to those essential standards... Can I say something about that too? I just really appreciate the reflection piece of that because sometimes we get into the classroom and we just teach things because it's there. It's either part of this like packaged curriculum we got or it's one of the standards. We're going to touch on it really quickly. Mm -hmm. And so... The process of choosing essential standards is really cool because if it's, you have to figure out what's most important. And if it's not that important, it's not a critical skill or something we need. Yeah, that's a key piece of the course itself or to move on to the next level, then we need to ask, why are we teaching in the first place? Yes. And that is such an important question to to ask. Why are we teaching it? Mm -hmm. Because if we don't have an answer for why we're teaching it, students don't have an answer for why they're learning it, and then they're probably not learning it. And we're just all wasting our time. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have so little time in school that we should take advantage of it and like use it for important stuff. 
what I found when I went through the process of like creating essential standards was A, it was a great opportunity to talk to all the other teachers teaching that same course and figure out like, oh, what do you emphasize in your class? What do I emphasize in my class? And what's core between that? Mm-hmm. Where there's some stuff that I might go into in depth just because I find it interesting. Like electrical circuits, I didn't find interesting when I started teaching physics. And then I learned more about them and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. But you know, electrical circuits are not necessarily a core concept that everybody has to know. I made it all the way through high school and college and teaching physics for the first couple years without really understanding them very well. So I think you can be okay without being able to calculate the resistance in a parallel circuit. Um, It's a fun puzzle. I like doing it, but I think it's like an extra bonus add-on piece, not a super necessary for success in life. That's right. So if we're not overwhelmed with the um, amount of standards we're trying to cover, everything just kind of surface level, right? And we feel like we have these 10 or 12 or 15, uh-huh. maybe. Yeah, um, generally, we aim for like we, 12 to 15 essential standards per high school course. Okay. So then there's some room for, yeah, for covering the things that you find interesting, which I also feel is really valuable for students. Like, I was talking about my son's school earlier, and uh-huh. he, uh, his teacher loves birding. Like, he birds all the time. And um, so he'll take the kids on, I don't know he'll take them on hikes, he'll do this, you know, and everything, they're, his excitement, I mean, even I got excited about bird watching uh-huh. after that. Like, to see someone who just loves something so much is uh-huh. really inspiring. Even if it's, that's not your jam, like, it's like, it's really cool that he's so into birds and the bird calls and this and that. And then, but while they're out, you know, through the neighborhood looking for different birds, like, oh, hey, here's the number for the house. Who can rearrange those four numbers to make the biggest number, make the smallest? So he's like picking up learning opportunities on the way uh-huh. to meet some of the second grade standards or whatever it was. Yeah. Wild kids were also like, hey, it's super cool. Larry just loves birds. That's sweet. <laughs> um, and I totally get that because my wife also loves birds. And at first it was like a little bit obsessive. Yeah. Um, and now we have like so many different bird feeders in our backyards and I'm starting to get fired up on it again because that enthusiasm is contagious. Yeah. And so I think even if it's not something that you super get into, you can appreciate like I think it's really cool for high school kids to you know, have a teacher and just see that they love this thing so much. And on some level, they might inter- not they might understand that's not their thing. They're not going to be so excited, but they can appreciate that and maybe wonder like, what do I love that much? What do I want to learn more about? Totally. And that's kind of our general rule of thumb is that you want to spend about 75% of your class time teaching those essential standards, the 12 to 15 that everybody has agreed, like those are the most important stuff. But that leaves you with 25% of class time for all the other fun stuff that you want to pursue in passions. So I still teach circuits. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting enough and exciting enough that I want my students to do it. Yeah. But if there's another teacher who's not super jazzed about circuits, I think that's okay. And that teacher's students will gain the problem-solving skills in whatever that teacher is excited about. But there are some things that are kind of non-negotiables, like mm-hmm. in a science class, if you don't design an experiment, run the experiment, gather data, and then analyze that data, we haven't really done any science. So that one has to be a non-negotiable. Like every teacher has to have their kids do some science experimental design. Mm -hmm. 
And I would argue that's not just follow the instructions in this lab. It's, Carrie Beth, you figure out what problem are you investigating, then you figure out what steps you're going to take to investigate that problem and how you're going to have an independent variable and a dependent variable and hold everything else's controls. Then you run the experiment that you just designed, you gather the data, you analyze the data, and then you figure out what you figured out. Um, to me, that is science, and you could do that in a bunch of different ways, but that's an essential standard. You can't mm -hmm. take a high school science class without actually doing experimental data analysis, in my personal opinion. So that one fit is our essential standards, and that's one that I'm starting with my biology class today. We're designing an experiment around homeostasis, so they're uh, figuring out positive and negative feedback loops and how different organ systems work together to maintain the same internal environment. And then they're gonna design an experiment on their own bodies about how they can use a factor that might influence homeostasis mm -hmm. and design an experiment to test it. So for example, how does exercise influence human heart rate? That sounds very cool. Yeah, um, <laughs> I hope so. I don't know, I think it'll be fun. Mm -hmm. um, or how does uh, exercise influence your fluid balance? Um, so how much are you sweating? How long has it been since you last drank water? And how is that fluid balance working inside your body uh, based on exercise rates or something like that? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. My students are designing the experiments. So yeah. today we generated a list of homeostasis factors different things that are maintained via homeostasis. Uh, and then we figured out which ones can we actually test for in a high school classroom. So for example, hormones are involved in homeostasis, but we probably don't want to do a whole lot of blood testing in a high school classroom because of yeah. like, <laughs> bloodborne illness things. So we, weren't, we are not testing for like insulin rates uh, because that would involve taking blood. Um, but we can test for heart rate, for blood pressure, for carbon dioxide produced when breathing, um, for your breathing rate, for the amount of air, your like maximum vital capacity, how much you breathe out. Um, we can test for body temperature. Um, mm -hmm. All those are reasonably easy external te tests uh, that don't end up damaging anybody or putting them at risk for severe illnesses. <laughs> we hope. Very cool. Yeah. I did have to veto a few that were like, well, what if we all got the flu and then we tested how temperatures influenced by fighting off infection? Yeah. I was like, that's a great idea. I don't think that we're going to love that if you go home with the flu. Or cut off our breath till we passed out or something. Right. Yeah. There does have to be some teacher intervention <laughs> ensuring safety in the uh, experimental design. But it's cool. They probably got excited about even their um, maybe less than safe ideas. Yeah. And once you generate a less than safe idea <laughs> and design an experiment for it, then I can come back in and say, like, that's a sweet experiment. We're not going to run it because of safety issues. So let's make the following tweaks so that mm -hmm. we can run it in class and you can still get good data. Okay. So step one is we generated 12 to 15 essential standards. Those essential standards are the core things that you have to get out of that piece. Um, what would step two be? Step two then would be to develop proficiency scales based on those standards. So the scale itself gives language. Um, we've been looking at ones that have numbers. Um, 
So a one would be, you can, well, first a three is the target. So the target language is based on the essential standard itself. Um, a two, you're not quite there yet, but you have some of maybe the academic language that you need um, or certain, you know, I'm thinking about in math, you might have certain parts of solving an equation, but just not completely not <laughs> be able to solve it all the way through yeah yeah great idea or maybe yeah some of the reasoning um and a one you can get to step two or even step three but with some help mm -hmm. so like i can do it if miss mccall is sitting next to me yeah. helping me along on what to do mm -hmm. with prompting or something yeah um and it also leaves some room for students who you know, get it very easily, or there's also a four, which is kind Ooh, of like... that's a number that's more than three. <laughs> yes, it is. It's like an extension or an application, so they can, they understand that, um, that target skill, and can even then manipulate that information or apply it into like a real world situation or something like that. Yeah, and then as we're developing those, um, there's like a one through four system, I tend to think of them as like the three is the target, mm -hmm. um, and that's where you started talking about it, because that's where we want all students to get to. Yes. Our goal as a teacher is to take every single student to reach the target, because those are the essential things, the things that we said you have to be able to do in order to do this subject, um, and to develop skills that are going to be helpful later in life. So step one is we start with that target piece. You said that's based on the standard. Mm -hmm. So for example, the standard that I was just talking about was design, and I don't remember the exact phrasing, but design an experiment to test homeostasis based on feedback loops. Uh, design and conduct mm -hmm. an experiment. I can plan, design, conduct an experiment to test homeostasis based on feedback loops. Um, so that's kind of our target. Then the simple content, you described it as a two, are the steps necessary, the foundational knowledge, mm -hmm. um, the key pieces that you have to be able to do in order to get to that target. So I have to know some words. Yeah. Um, there's probably some vocabulary that I couldn't do that experiment unless I knew what homeostasis was. I couldn't do that experiment unless I knew what a feedback loop was, probably a positive feedback and a negative feedback loop. So there's some necessary vocabulary uh, in order to be able to reach there. And then there's some necessary skills. Um, I have to be able to identify a question that is testable. I have to be able to choose two factors that would actually influence each other. So if the two factors I chose were heart rate and color of stool that I'm sitting on, uh, those may not influence each other. So I have to, well, actually, I don't know. <laughs> maybe we could get into like aesthetics. Maybe this is a, a conversation with an art teacher. How much would the uh, the colors around you influence your heart rate and stress levels? Uh, that probably is influential. Uh, but if you selected things that were completely non-influential, um, that would be a problem. Mm -hmm. So there's those foundational skills necessary to like, I can find a correlation versus a causation. Right. Um, so that might be a foundational skill. Uh, and then you also mentioned that you've got that complex content, the four, which is going above and beyond what's taught. So maybe I can not only run the experiment, but I can analyze the data 
and take it to like publishable quality work. Um, or I can think about the experiment and then I can come up with variations on that experiment that would make it more or less in depth, or I can find all of the ex possible experimental errors that may be influencing my results. Mm -hmm. And I can explain statistically why my results are valid or invalid based on my sample size or whatever else. Um, so that's getting beyond the level that we're teaching in a ninth grade uh, biology class, but is still like in-depth inference application, higher level thinking kind of thing. So those are kind of our, our big four, right? Yeah. Number one, I can get there if somebody helps me. Number two, I can do the simple foundational work, but not quite get to the target yet. Number three, I hit the target. I'm able to conduct my experiment. And then number four, I can go beyond that, beyond what was taught to me, and do something with an additional inference or application. Yes. I was just thinking as you were talking about the level two, I think is really great for planning, especially planning classes with lots of different um, types of learners and mm -hmm. ability levels and things because students who eventually can maybe get it with not as much practice or something like the foundational stuff will helps everybody if it's, yep. you know, reviewing the vocabulary or breaking down the skills and scaffolding that piece. I think that all, there's something there for all students. Yeah, I found it tremendously helpful as a teacher because I look at the proficiency scale mm -hmm. that we wrote with our biology team. This is my first year teaching biology in like eight years. Yeah. And so as I'm trying to figure out like how do I teach this, I'm able to just like look at the proficiency scale and it basically says, all right, here's everything that you need to make sure students can do. Mm -hmm. And then we just go through and like check them off one by one. Oh, one of the foundational things is I got to teach about negative and positive feedback loops. I still get complete control over how I want to teach that, but I know that students have to know it. Mm -hmm. So maybe I find a little video and they watch that. Maybe they do some practice work with it. Maybe there's some direct instruction. Maybe we're going to read something out of the textbook. In order to get to the homeostasis experiment, we got to make sure that they can do those parts. Um, so I have control of the pedagogy of how I want to do the teaching, but I know that I'm hitting the stuff that they should know. And I find that really helpful as a teacher. Yeah, I think I've seen, um, you know, at the high school level, some teachers, we all, we love our content. That's why we decided <laughs> to keep studying it and go to school and share uh -huh. it with students. But um, sometimes it's even hard to take a step back and put yourself into the brain of some of our students who have mm. no background in, like, yep. geometry. They don't know that, like, we're shooting off these terms that we just assume everybody knows uh -huh. or... Um, so I think it helps with that too. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, you get so like delved in. Yeah. And that was the other interesting part of like creating essential standards. There's some stuff. It's like, well, how could you possibly do science without circuits? Mm -hmm. Like circuits are so important. It's like for who? <laughs> circuits are important for electricians, for electrical engineers. Most of our students aren't going to be those people. Um. I mean, it's nice to be able to like fix something around the house. Yeah. But I don't actually have to understand the circuit in order to make it happen. Yeah, developing them. I think also with um, with our departments, one piece I don't. Um, well, we could talk about it here. Yeah. Like, something that happens at the high school, and I see that because doing RSP, I'm supporting students with who might have five different English teachers for the same 
even class, like English 10. So that's and five, five students with different English teachers. Right. Because we have different teachers teaching the same course. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Yes, different teachers. And so some are, um, yeah, some are covering some material in depth. Some are barely even touching on it. Um, so it helps with consistency from classroom to classroom. And it also helps with um, consistent grading because we might have a class where like 10% of the grade is based on homework um, or even bigger. Like it could just be you get like these participation points for being on time and this and that. Um, and then another teacher could have you know, an 80% based on um, assessments. Uh -huh. And then another class could be like only 50% assessment mm -hmm. and part of it just doing the homework every night. And I think that's where that compliance piece comes in uh -huh. where students are, yeah, just becoming compl more compliant instead of necessarily learning the material. Right. And I think um, as we, so let's shift then okay. away from proficiency scales mm -hmm. and towards how we would actually use that as an assessment standards-based reporting kind of piece. Mm -hmm. So now we're shifting into like the grading component, right. which seems like a, a tricky piece. Um, yeah, people get fired up about grading. Yeah, people <laughs> do. Well, I mean, logically, like humans respond to incentives. Mm -hmm. And we, one of the incentives that we have in school is grades. Uh, the nice part is that means you can modify your incentives to get what you want. Right. Um, unfortunately, one of the things that we have modified into is just like following instructions, mm -hmm. uh, like compliance-based grading. Mm -hmm. um, I had a conversation once with uh, our previous principal, Adam Littlefield, um, and I was asking about his kids and his daughter was in high school. And his response was so interesting to me because I'd never thought of it that way. Um, he was like, oh, yeah, like my daughter, like she's a she's a good student. She's fine. Like she's very compliant. So school is easy. Mm -hmm. I was like, huh. I had never thought, like A, that sounded almost like a negative term to me. Yeah. Like I'd never thought of describing a, a kid as compliant. But that is what school ends up being for a lot of people. Yeah. Like if you can follow the rules and you can do what's asked, boom, that's it. Um, and now we're trying to shift to more independent thinking, to more creative thinking, and using some of this like proficiency-based stuff to help students get there. I like it as a teacher because it shifts away from how many points do I get mm -hmm. to like what, what understanding can you demonstrate to me? What have you learned? And how can you show that learning? And that's a much more fun conversation for me to have than can I show you my homework from four weeks ago because it's missing. Yeah, the points game is sad, <laughs> right? Like students, I mean, it just encourages kind of giving up at a certain point, Yeah, you know, whether you had something happen at home or for whatever reason, you kind of checked out for a little while or students have so many things happening outside of school that mm -hmm. we have no idea about. And it's it seems really unfair to punish them for like, OK, you didn't do this work and now late work is only worth half the points or you can't turn it in past a certain point, And so now, sorry, you can't pass this class like that's just heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't think anybody enjoys the points game. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't seem like teachers enjoy the points game. It doesn't seem like students really enjoy the points game. Mm -hmm. You kind of opened with it. It's 
just like the playing the school game, playing the system. Yeah. Uh, but the nice thing is we actually have control of the system and we can modify it to emphasize learning. Um, so as we think about standards-based reporting, the grading piece of it, um, my understanding is we talked about that four, three, two, one thing. Um, if students hit every single target in a class and hit all threes, mm -hmm. they've done what we want them to do. Mm -hmm. And that would be like a 90, what we've previously called a 90% or like an A minus. So they have reached that A level. Um, so a three becomes like your, your lower balance for an A. Um, a four becomes over a 90%. So pushing into like the 95%, 100%. Um, now, it's kind of an unfair comparison to do a percentage to proficiency component. But just as we think about it, that would be like your higher A's. Uh, a two, like I can do the simple stuff, but not put it all together yet, would be like a C. Mm -hmm. And then if you're putting it together sometimes, but not all the time, that would be more of a B range. So in generally like a two and a half uh, would be a B. Um, then a one, like I can do it with some help, but I can't do it by myself, would be in the D zone. Uh, and then I just straight up can't do it even if you help me, like I can't do any of it, that would be your F. Yeah, or refuse to try. <laughs> or I refuse to try, yeah. I, I did not attempt to do it. I did not do it. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think it would be hard to get a zero. I, I would think so, unless you're determined not to. Mm -hmm. I guess attendance would be one thing that would get in yeah. the way, right? If we're doing something in science of designing and running an experiment, you do have to be here to attempt to design and run an experiment. I would get maybe that, like if I don't show up to school, that might be the way to get my zero. Um, not that we would be using attendance days as part of a grade, just you're not able to demonstrate the proficiency if you didn't try or didn't do it. Um, on that grading side though, I think the other thing that you mentioned was like, how do we balance some of those other pieces? So we also care about like students demonstrating a strong work ethic. Um, it might not be like homework as such, mm -hmm. but for me, um, work ethic is still important. And if you don't like try the practice stuff, um, that's something that I want to note. But I think the way that we do that is by separating out that work ethic component. Um, in Novato, we call it a conscientious learner component. Um, and we would have like a separate score for work ethic or for conscientious learner. So you'd get like a score for each class. Mm -hmm. For example, in chemistry, I was at a 3.2. In algebra, I was at a 3.0. In English, I was at a 2.8. Um, and then my work ethic in chemistry was a 4.0. Like I really grinded. I was trying my absolute hardest. I did every single extra piece I was asking additional questions. I was really, really trying. Um, I didn't get everything above and beyond, but I did pretty well. Um, and that would kind of separate out. So you have like a score for the content, and then you could have a separate score for the work ethic component or for like how did I collaborate with other people. Mm -hmm. So that those other pieces, the participation pieces, the you know doing the practice pieces are important. We just don't want them to cloud the content understanding. 
Right. And I would think that would be a really helpful thing if I imagine it. I would have like a content score, a work ethic conscientious learner score, Mm -hmm. a collaboration score, and then a communication score. Yeah. What's the quality of your presentation? What's the quality of your writing within a science class? Mm -hmm. Because you can demonstrate a conceptual understanding without being able to write it really well. Like maybe we, like somehow I'm able to get the ideas. Your writing formatting is not brilliant. Uh, Or... You are just a spectacular presenter. Your communication is incredible. You are a natural salesperson, um, but you don't seem to actually understand the content very well. Right. I know, and some of those skills are so important because like you said, working, just working hard or working through problems, even if you don't actually, in the end, completely get it, Yet. Like that's gonna get you really far in life on its own. Yeah. Um, and you know, on the flip side, there's a lot of smart people that are kind of jerks too. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes they get farther, I don't know. But um, yeah, like part of being a successful adult, you know, participating in our world and our society is being able to collaborate and get along with others and communicate clearly. And yeah, yeah, those are just as important. Ideally, you understand the content and you're a great person and you're working really hard. But those, don't, those aren't necessarily all the same thing. Right. You could have one and not the other. Um, but I think it's worth like splitting those out. And if we were able to report out in that way, mm-hmm. I would think that's really cool. Yeah, it's hard to talk about right now as far as the reporting out piece because like the current report card system that we have is ABCD one grade per class. And yeah. it's based on a percentage. But I have seen some that which looks like a lot of work to develop, but I've Uh seen some for districts that actually are fully um, proficiency-based reporting where they have, each class has the standard and student, you know, it's reported like proficient or making progress or um, just even by the number. And then for each, there's a behavior skills um, score as well. Well, I'm thinking behavior is like, Oh, I see. Like work ethic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, to me, that would be the direction that I would love to eventually get to. Yeah. To be able to report out here's your content component, and then here are the other pieces that we value. Mm-hmm. For me, those three pieces would be work ethic, conscientious learner, communication, collaboration. Yeah. Because those are things that I think I can actually assess, mm-hmm. and they're things that are important. Um, there are other things that are important. I just can't necessarily assess them as a teacher. Yeah. And some of it, you know, like we're a K through 12 district, so it's nice to be working on these as a district because Uh we were also talking about how some of the social emotional stuff is being recognized Mm. um, as important Uh as it should be, I think. Um, And so there's more actual like uh, targeted, like explicit teaching around some of those skills at the elementary level. Uh So maybe they'll have that there and then... They'll come to us already with like fantastic character and that'd be ready awesome to collaborate. Oh, that'd be lovely. <laughs> uh, it was actually super cute. I took my daughter to get her flu shot yeah. uh, on Friday, um, and she was freaking out uh, as per normal. Mm-hmm. Um, she's in second grade, and as we were like, I was like, okay, like what's what's our strategy? And she was like, oh, oh, this is good. I've been doing mind up 
mm-hmm. in second grade. Yeah, I know that um, one. Yeah, it's like they're breathing and uh, like being conscious and calming themselves program. Yeah. So she was like, oh, I've been doing mind up. So I'll just do my mind up breathing. Yeah, it really gives kids like these tools that many adults are missing, you know? Uh-huh. It would be very cool to be able to call on that, con- yeah. conjure that up. And like full disclosure, I think she's probably still like a, a two. She's at, <laughs> she's at the simple content on her mind up breathing because mm-hmm. when we actually got there, there was a big freak out. Yeah. But she knew about it. Mm-hmm. She knew what she should be doing. She wasn't able to do it yet. Yeah. In that case, the target would probably be I am able to use breathing exercises yeah. in a stressful situation to calm she myself. She had some of the vocabulary. It she definitely like. had the vocabulary. <laughs> she definitely knew the strategies. The implementation of them mm-hmm. wasn't there yet. But she's in second grade. Yeah. She's got some time. That's awesome. Um, they're doing that. Yeah. So it's like finding that balance on like, how do we encourage that social emotional stuff mm-hmm. and also ensure that our students are meeting proficiency uh, and mastering the content that we want them to. All right. Any final thoughts on uh, proficiency based education? What have we missed? Did we talk about assessment? I don't think we have talked about assessment. So I just want... So that's kind of like the missing hidden piece, right? Yeah, I know you, you're going to go... you got your proficiency scale. Mm-hmm. Before we can actually report out or do a standards-based grade, we need to assess something. Right. How do we do that? Well, I think what's really cool looking at this once it's complete or, uh-huh. you know, a step-by-step, um, you have your essential standard. We've decided it's an essential standard because it's very important for students to learn it. If it's an essential standard, it will have a will develop a proficiency scale. Yep. Check. Um, and then, if it's in a standard and it's a scale, or it's going to be assessed because we've decided it's so important. We want to make sure that students learn it. Yes. Um, and then we should have some way of knowing if they learn it. Right. Or when they learn it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, something that's been really cool to see with this work, you know, there's. Um, obviously different types of assessments and we might have some in you might use some in your, some in your classroom that other teachers are not but um, I think departments have gotten together or maybe are getting together now and developing common assessments uh-huh. because we do want students if they're taking biology whether they have you or a different teacher uh-huh. we're hoping that they're learning essentially the same thing the same essential standards they are. And so the assessment will look at that yeah um it also leaves a lot of room for informal assessments. Like uh-huh. you can even use exit tickets or something, you know, and they could be pretty open-ended. Like here's something I learned today, something I still have a question on. And we can really use it to guide instruction. It's very rich feedback. Um, so the common assessment would yeah. be something that every teacher who's teaching that class mm-hmm. agrees to give right. to assess whether students have mastered that particular essential standard. Correct. Um, and there could be multiple ways of assessing that. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't have to be a test as such. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it will be a test. Um, but for the essential standard that we talked about, like homeostasis experiment, uh, giving a test on how to run an experiment is kind of an artificial way of measuring if you can run an experiment. Right. The best way of assessing whether you can run an experiment is to have you run an experiment and then show me what data you gathered, how did you plan it, and here's some scaffolds to help you. Yeah. Um, so like our common assessment for our homeostasis experiment is students present out their research. Mm-hmm. They did an experiment. Great. Show me what the question was that you were investigating. 
what your procedure was, what background research you did, what data you gathered, how you analyzed that data, what conclusion you came to. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you can show that on a poster, you can show that on a PowerPoint slide, um, you can do an oral presentation, whatever. But that would be the assessment for that essential standard. Right. There are other essential standards where a more test-oriented piece might be more appropriate. Mm-hmm. I think varying the assessment is really good because that lets you assess different types of skills. And I think in a you know in most classes you want to encourage lots of different skill building. Mm-hmm. We don't want to build the same skill over and over and over. Right. There's also it leaves it leaves multiple opportunities to assess, so it's not just a one and done. I didn't yeah. get it by that test. Well, moving on to the next thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I've seen it in math a lot this year, and it's kind of cool because we, we're hoping that when students learn something with the first unit, you know, by the time we're on unit four, they didn't forget everything, mm-hmm. and so they'll still be included on some of the assessments. Um, yeah, problems that we worked on at the beginning of the year. Um, and students have an opportunity then to make progress there, and that can change as well. So if they if they scored a one the first time that we did, um, you know, um, triangle congruence theorem, and then we revisited that in other lessons, and they tested again, and then they are were assessed again, they got a three, like they're at a level three, right? And that's very cool. That and is I, very cool. Something in it, I I can't really like put it into exact words but one of my students said she felt like when she sees an f it's just that's it i got an f but when she sees these numbers she was talking about in math when she sees these numbers and she gets a two or a one even she's like okay that's where i'm at right now like there's more of an understanding there's more of a growth mindset with it this is where i'm at right now and i can still improve she understands that she still has opportunities to learn it and still has opportunities to demonstrate what she can do which is awesome. Yay. That, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what we want. Exactly, yes. Um, on that positive note, Carrie Beth McCall, thank you so much for thank coming you. on and chatting proficiency-based education with us. My pleasure, Nick. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs>